0: Uh, well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. How are you? Got my mic fixed. Well, Stephen got my mic fixed. Let me rephrase that. Stephen's a Mr. Fix-It, you know. He gets everything fixed. I hope you all know that. I hope you all know how much this man does for you behind the scenes. You all know that, right? I hope you all realize that. He does a lot that you will never know about. Um, well, how are you guys doing this morning. Good. Good. Um, well, I want to uh, thank each of you who, who played any kind of part in the, our uh, back-to-school outreach with, with uh, Crosspoint, uh, whether you donated money or you showed up yesterday to have the conversations with people and, and distribute the bags out or, or came uh, the other night when we packed the bags. We, I, we just want to thank you for being a part of that. Um, we did reach our, our goal. Of, of, our goal was, was 40 children. Um, and so, so we reached that goal as a church family. So thank, thank you for that. And um, and then overall, our goal with with CrossPoint was all the the Jonesboro schools, and and we reached that goal as well. So um, so thank you for being a part of that. Um, you know, it's not just about school supplies, right? It's about the gospel, and we were able to uh, get the gospel to to kids and their families um, through the bags. There was a gospel presentation in there, and also just through. Good conversations yesterday um, at cross point. So again, thank you guys for being a part of that. Um, if you were a part of that, and um, I'm really looking forward today to today as well. Are you guys? We're, we're having uh, opening the word is what I'm talking about, right? And then, yeah, but then yeah, we're having food too. So we will have food afterwards. And um, Ron, I think we need to have food every week because we've we've got a little better better turnout. We've got well, <laughs> beautiful beautiful so we'll try to do this every month ish and um so I thank Ron and Rhonda for for setting all that up and um really looking forward to today and and I hope that like Stephen said earlier if it's your first time here please join us uh you know no pressure but just just food and, and fellowship so I hope you'll join us and uh and we can all kind of fellowship together um All right, well, turn with me to John chapter 12, and and we'll get started. John chapter 12. And so, last week, we looked at this this passage that is told in all four Gospels, right? And this is the account of of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And that was in verses 12 through 16. Um, and so now this morning we're going to continue on in this narrative here. The rest of the chapter really is about this. Um, and so we're going to continue on in this. And, and here John's going to record some, some details about this that the other Gospels don't record. Um, and so we're going to start in verse 17 this morning. Um, but we're going to see some teaching that, that John records and nobody else records um, as Jesus rides, rides into Jerusalem. Um, and, and so we're going to see that some of, some of this teaching from Christ parallels other teaching we see in the gospel. But, but John's really the only one that, that records this, this teaching uh, during his triumphal entry. So if you will stand with me, uh, we're going to read uh, just verses 17 through 26 this morning. And we'll get started. <clears throat> Therefore, the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb... And raised him from the dead, bore witness. For this reason the people also met him, because they heard that he had done this sign. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, You see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus.' Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my Father will honor. That's where we're going to stop this morning. Let's pray. Father, I thank you uh, for the worship we've had this morning. I thank you for the fellowship we've had already this morning. And that we're going to have. um, Lord, I thank you for each individual who's come this morning. uh, God, you know exactly... Who needs to be here why they need to be here and what they need to hear this morning and i pray that you would father just move me out of the way and help me to convey those things uh, accurately lord this morning and father you go before me and 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 open hearts to your word please father Um, and we just ask that you would get the glory during this time that you would teach us what what we need to know lord um Father, and if there's one who doesn't know you as Savior today, Lord, please please let today be that day when they finally surrender to you, God, and stop running from you. Lord, let today be the day, please. And God, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. All right, well, um, as we, we focused on last week, Uh, This event in the life of Jesus, his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, um, it's a a pivotal event in the Gospels. And uh, as we saw in the Luke passage last week, this was an event where Jesus is declaring himself publicly as the Messiah, right? He's riding in as king and they're worshiping him as king and Messiah. And Jesus expected his people, Israel, to be ready for this moment. Because it was predicted hundreds of years prior in the Old Testament, even down to the very day of this event, and even down to the very animal that Jesus would be riding, right? And so it was predicted well in advance. And Jesus expected his people, Israel, to understand that and to be ready for this day. And so as he rides into Jerusalem, the crowd is going crazy. For him, right, we saw that last week. The crowd is going wild. They're laying their, the palm branches out. They're speaking messianic psalms to him. Um, they are calling him their king and their Messiah, and they're going absolutely crazy. They've been waiting for this moment for literally hundreds of years. They they are ready for Jesus to come on the scene, um, become their king, and take power from the Romans. Right. Um, by force and bring Israel back to the kingdom that that it, it once was but as Jesus begins to talk here as he begins to speak um, it becomes evident that that he has something totally different in mind than what they have in mind you know we, we keep mentioning it, throughout this gospel that John keeps using this phrase his hour had not yet come right uh, his hour had not yet come we've seen it uh, when people are trying to declare him king in chapter 6, uh, we, we, we've, seen him, uh, we've seen him use this. Uh, we've seen John use this when, when the Pharisees are trying to kill him, and he'll say, But, but his hour had not yet come. Uh, we've seen it when his brothers are trying to convince him to go up to Jerusalem. He says, My hour has not yet come. We've seen it uh, numerous times in the book of John. Well, here in chapter 12 and, and verse 23, we see something different from Jesus um, as he rides into Jerusalem. And begins to speak, Jesus himself declares, the hour has come. He says, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. This is the climax moment of, of uh, Jesus' ministry that John has been leading up to. This is the climax moment here, uh, this final week. And this whole, whole section in chapter 12, um, and the section we're going to look at next time, um, uh, shows Jesus' teaching about what this hour is. What, what, is, this, what is this hour and what, what does it mean for us? What is the significance of it? And as the teaching progresses and, and Jesus reveals more and more about this hour and about what's going to happen in the coming days, we see this crowd change completely. Right? And so so they, get, they go from hailing him as King and Messiah and Lord Um, to being a people by the end of the week who are ripe to be convinced that he needs to be put to death, right? And these are the same people that are in that crowd yelling, Crucify him. We've said that a few times already. So they completely change gears based on the teaching that Jesus gives here. The kinds of things they hear Jesus talk about here are not the kinds of things they expected to hear their Messiah teaching. Um, Even though, ironically, these are the very things that they need more than anything. And the things that even here in, in 2021, we need more than anything. Um, so at least this time and, and um, the next time we're together, Stephen's going to actually teach next week, but in two weeks we're going to get back into this passage. Um, and we're going to look at this hour that Jesus uh, is, says, this is the hour that the Son of Man is going to be glorified. So we're going to look at this passage and what the significance is. And so the first implication in this passage about this hour that has come involves the full inclusion of the Gentiles. The full inclusion of the Gentiles. The hour has come now for the Gentiles to finally be included uh, fully. So that's going to be our first point this morning. Um, John records here for us a rather strange sequence in, in verses 17 through 23. First, it says in in verse 17 that the crowd who saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead bore witness of him. And this is the reason that the larger crowd, who's already in Jerusalem. Remember, about probably a million people have come into Jerusalem for Passover. And that crowd um, hears all of these witnesses of what Jesus had just done back in chapter 11. He raised Lazarus from the dead. And so they hear all of that. And they begin hailing Jesus as Messiah. This is what sets up this event, this triumphal entry. The people who witnessed the resurrection were telling the huge multitude who had come into Jerusalem, and all of them together began to worship Jesus. Now, that is the response of a truly transformed disciple. You see, when, when a person has truly seen the resurrection power of Jesus. Anybody seen the resurrection power of Jesus? Can you, can you say yes, amen, I have seen the resurrection power of Jesus. Anybody say that this morning? Hello out there. Anybody here? Okay. Have you all witnessed the resurrection power of Jesus Christ this morning? Anybody? Thank you. Well, there should be a response to that. Um. You know, when a person truly sees and experiences the resurrection power of Jesus Christ in his life, he cannot help but bear witness to that resurrection power. Amen? He can't help it. You can't stay silent. You have to tell of what Jesus has done in your life. You know, the Bible really knows nothing of a believer who's been changed by Christ and who doesn't want to talk about it. Boy, well, 2021 knows a lot about that. But the Bible knows nothing about this. When someone's been changed by Jesus, they begin to declare of what Jesus has done. It's a foreign concept of Scripture to be saved by Christ and have no further fervor to see other people saved by Christ. Amen? That was less loud. Maybe there's some toes being stepped on this morning. But you know, that's why here at at Risen Life, our mission is to become practical missionaries together. This ain't about some pastor, right? That's not why we're here. Uh, That is, each of us are here, not just just the leaders, not just the pastors, but each believer um, is here to be about the business of, of proclaiming Jesus in our own personal mission fields. Amen? Is that why we're here? That's why we're here this morning. That's what this church is about, whether it be your, your workplace or your school or, or social media or you know, whatever, whatever influence you might have out there. Whatever uh, realm you, you, you work in, um, we, are be, we are to be about the, the Father's business of declaring who Jesus is and what he's done. And what we see here uh, from this crowd who, who had witnessed Jesus' miracle. He literally raised Lazarus from the dead after four days in chapter 11. And we see that they're now telling everybody. They can't keep silent. But then in verse 19, here come our buddies, the Pharisees. Right? We've seen them many times. We've, we've, um, we've seen them speak up lots of times. In, in the book of John. And here they are. And they're of course not happy about what's going on. <clears throat> they see everyone hailing Jesus as Messiah. And, and they're not happy about it. We saw in Luke that they actually uh, rebuked Jesus for this. right? They say you've you got to stop these people from worshipping you. This is wrong. And then here in John we read that they make this statement. They, they say we're accomplishing nothing. And they mean what they mean there is we're accomplishing nothing by keeping this guy alive. He needs to die. We're accomplishing nothing by letting him live. And then they say, look, the world has gone after him. The world has gone after him. And again, uh, this has been a theme recently in John, but I think there's much irony in what they say here, because the next thing that John records is that there were some Greeks, some Gentiles who who had come to worship at the feast, Now, you you probably uh, know by now that that the Jews despised the Gentiles, right? A Gentile is just a non-Jew. Anyone who wasn't a Jew, well, the Jews didn't like non-Jews. Most Gentiles were were pagan worshippers, right? They didn't worship... Um, the God of Israel, and, and, the view, and the Jews viewed these people as unclean. If you're not a Jewish person, you are unclean. Even if, even if you were a Samaritan, you know, that's like a half-bred Jew, they thought. And so they're unclean too, right? Everyone who's not a pure Jew is unclean. That's what they thought. However, there were some Gentiles in the world who actually did worship the one true God of Israel. Um, and they came uh, to worship at, at these Jewish feasts. They would come into Jerusalem to worship. That's probably who, who these people were. But the Jews honestly didn't really care for them either. You know, even if they were worshiping the one true God, they didn't care much for those Gentiles either. Um, many Jewish people didn't think that any Gentile uh, should be able to be saved or be able to worship in their temple with them. That just wasn't a thing that the Jews were into. In fact the Pharisees. Uh, the religious leaders. You know, they would have this prayer. Where they would thank God. That they were not Gentiles. Thank you God. That I am not a Gentile. And then they would say. Thank you God. That I am not a woman. Yikes. What is that all about? These Pharisees. That's not me. That's the Pharisees. No, I don't agree with the Pharisees. Obviously. Uh, they would say. Thank you that we are not Gentiles. And that we are not women. These are the religious leaders of the jews even in the temple um, a gentile who wanted to worship could only go as far as this outer court there was this outer court around the temple uh, that was called the court of the gentiles and they could only go that far they weren't allowed any further than that point and they actually had signs there that said you're not allowed beyond this point Um, at risk of your life actually uh, is what those signs would say And so even after the resurrection and ascension of Christ, we see in Acts that the early Jewish Christians really struggled with the concept of God also wanting to save the Gentiles. Um, In fact, it was such a conflict that um, in Acts chapter 15, the apostles had to meet together and they had to discuss this. And, And only then was there the general consensus that the Gentiles could also be saved. But here's the thing, it wasn't really their decision to make either, right? That was God's decision to make. And God had already decided long, long before that His intention was that the whole world would be saved, not just the Jewish people, and that they would be saved through the blessing of the Jewish people. So even in Genesis, uh, I think we have a small group going through Genesis right now, right? Y'all going through Genesis, uh, Paul and Stevens on Monday night, just to shout out if you want to be involved with that. Um, But they're going through Genesis right now. And even in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, uh, we see God is, is talking to Abraham and he's making a covenant with Abraham. And he says there, he says this, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All means all, right? It's not just Jewish families he's talking about. He says all the families of the earth shall be blessed in Abraham. Oh, we see that plan to save the Gentiles echoed throughout the old testament too many verses for us to talk about this morning i'll just mention one in in psalm chapter 22 and verse 27 because this is one of the very places in the old testament where christ's crucifixion is prophesied hundreds of years in advance you know let's just turn over there let's let's turn over there psalm Psalm chapter 22 um i didn't put all these verses on the screen but i just put the one i wanted but but it's just too good not to turn over. So let's turn over there. Psalm chapter twenty-two. I want you to read some of this. This is this is uh, near a thousand years before Jesus ever came. Wrap your mind around that. This is near a thousand years before before the crucifix the crucifixion ever took place. And here's what we read in this psalm. Look at uh, verse verse fourteen. I'm just going to read various verses here. Verse fourteen. It says. And all my, jo- all my bones are out of joint. My heart was like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a pot's herd. And my tongue clings to my jaws. Let's move on down a little way. Verse 16. They pierced my hands and my feet. Verse 17. I can count all of my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide My garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. What does that sound like to you? The crucifixion of Jesus, right? Hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was ever even on the scene. Very clear details of what the cross would be like, right? Even uh, my clothing they cast lots for. We see all of this detail hundreds of years before. Later fulfilled completely to a T by Jesus during his crucifixion, during the very hour that he's referring to in John chapter 12. You know, amazingly, crucifixion, uh, that, you know, piercing the, the hands and the feet, nailing to a cross, that wasn't a punishment of the Jews. Okay, when the, when the Psalms were written, that wasn't something they knew anything about, that wasn't something the Jews did. The Jews stoned people. That's how they killed people. They stoned people. So I would imagine even the psalmist, when he's writing this, doesn't quite understand fully the implication of what he's writing. But then down in verse 27 of that psalm, Psalm 22, it says this, All the ends of the earth, all the ends of the world, shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. And we see in this messianic messianic psalm an invitation again to all of the world not just the jewish people and this is proclaimed in verse after verse after verse in the old testament and then explained over and over again in the new testament it is clear that that god's plan from the very beginning was to save not only his chosen people israel but people of every tribe tongue and nation and here in john Um, I think we just see a little bit of foreshadowing of that salvation that Jesus is about to uh, bring in. We see that these Greeks come to Philip, who's one of the twelve, right? One of the twelve disciples. And they say, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. I I, I just love how that's written. Sir, we we wish to see Jesus. That word for see, it means to spend time uh, talking with Jesus inquiring of Jesus they had some questions to ask of Jesus how ironic that on the, on the very day when Israel is about to turn its back on Jesus here come these Gentiles and they're saying sir we we wish to see Jesus I love that phrasing in some churches uh, in, in the pulpit you, you can see that phrase we wish to see Jesus written on the pulpit you think we can get that attached to this? We wish to see Jesus. We'll get a piece of paper up or something. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Because, guys, that's the point of any preaching. It should be. and That should be the point of any preaching. Hopefully this morning you're not here for my opinions, or you're not here for some uh, political commentary, or you're not here for, for some kind of feel-good message about you know, five ways to solve, solve all your problems. Right? Right? Um, I don't think you're here for that this morning. I hope this morning you come saying, Sir, I I want to see Jesus. I want you to show me Jesus. We want to know Him more. We want to see more of Him. He is the focus. In fact, I hope that's your anthem in your life. I just want to see more of Jesus. Is that your anthem? The anthem of your life This morning, is that evident for you, Christian? Would other people look at you and say, "Man, he just wants to see Jesus. He just wants to see more of Jesus, just closer to Jesus. That's his life's call. You know, let's honestly, as we go through this passage, we're going to have to ask ourselves some tough questions. And I want to invite you to do that this morning, to ask yourself tough questions. Do we really and truly want more of Jesus this morning and less of us. Is that really the desire of our hearts? It's interesting that, that Philip gets Andrew and, and they talk uh, together and then they go to Jesus. They tell Jesus that these Greeks want to see Jesus. And then Jesus, uh, you know, down in verse 23 is where he replies. And he really doesn't even directly answer them. But what he says is so much more profound um, as we've we've uh, come to expect from Jesus. Uh, verse 23, Jesus answered. And I suppose he's speaking to the crowd of Jews and Gentiles at this point, because later in this passage, we're going to see that the crowd interacts with him. And he says our, our focus verse here, the, the hour has come that the son of man should be glorified. Now, he's going to go on to explain More and more about what this means. But but in essence part of what he's saying here is. The hour has come finally for the Gentiles to be included. The, The hour has come for full inclusion of the Gentiles now. Because of what's about to happen. Both Jew and Gentile will have full and equal access to the throne of God. He says, he's saying, you really want to see Jesus? Well, well, this is only possible through the events that are about to take place. It's only possible through the shedding of the blood of the Son of Man. Through His sacrifice, there will be no more Jew and Gentile, but only saved and unsaved. And that's the only two, two categories, really. It's saved and unsaved. Do you know Jesus this morning or do you not know Him? This morning, it doesn't matter what your nationality is, doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. Are you saved or are you not? But I love this imagery here as John kind of gives us a foreshadowing of what Jesus is about to usher in this. this There's no more separation between Jew and Gentile. And I think that's the first implication that I see here about Jesus teaching about this final hour, the full inclusion of the Gentiles. And that brings us to the second implication. The fruitful sacrifice of the Son. The fruitful sacrifice of the Son. This is no doubt the, the primary focus of what Jesus means when He talks about this hour that has arrived. It's now time for Him to ride in for the final time to Jerusalem. And He's going to be delivered up to be crucified. And that's, that's why He's come that's why he's riding in all of these other points that we're going to make about about this hour they're simply extensions of the primary point uh, and that is his sacrifice his sacrifice on the cross if he's speaking to the entire crowd here when jesus says the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified boy i bet the crowd would have absolutely gone nuts I mean, to think about it. They, you know, they, they have been waiting to hear these words for literally hundreds of years. And he uses this name, the Son of Man. And that's only found in one place in the Old Testament, in Daniel chap- chapter 7. And in J- J- Daniel chapter 7, the Son of Man is being handed over a kingdom from God the Father. And that kingdom is to last forever and ever and ever. It was a clear messianic promise, uh, prophecy. And Israel's been waiting for this kingdom. They thought it was an earthly kingdom, right? They've been waiting for this kingdom to be ushered in. And then here comes their Messiah. And he says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And the crowd would have just gone nuts. Gone crazy. I'm sure they were beside themselves. But then in the very next breath, Jesus makes it clear that, that... He has a totally different idea of how it is that he will be glorified. It would not be through his conquering that he would be glorified, but through his death that he would be glorified in his first coming. So he says this most assuredly, or or your Bible might say, truly, truly, or, or my version would say, listen up, people. This is really important. Anytime you see truly, truly, or, or most assuredly, this is really, really important. And he says this, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. So Jesus gives this illustration. He says, in agriculture, when, you, when you're looking for a huge harvest, It starts with with one seed. It starts with a seed. And that little seed must be placed into the ground and it must die and it must be transformed uh, so that from it can spring the harvest that you see right? the wheat that comes from it, the fruit. Through the death of one will come the fruit of many. He says that if that seed doesn't die, it remains alone. And I love that imagery here. You know, from eternity past, it has been the Godhead who has existed in a perfect Trinitarian unity. Right? Father, Son, and Spirit in perfect, perfect unity. But only through the death of Jesus could God share His heaven with His creation. And only through the death of Jesus could God share Himself, share a relationship with Himself, with His creation. That's the only way that sin could be paid for and God could fellowship with His people. So now, through the death, through Jesus' death, all can inherit heaven and be with God in perfect unity forever. We can join in with that unity of the Father and the Son of the whole, and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is speaking here of being glorified through his death. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. Right? God is most glorified in His one of a kind, unbelievable love shown to His image bearers, which is us, right? We are His image bearers. He's most glorified in the display of His love. And that love is most clear on the cross. Now, Jesus will be glorified in his second coming. Through his conquering. He will. But his first coming was was about his death to pay for sin. And through his death, many shall be saved. That's the, the much fruit in the illustration. Many will be saved. Now, Again, the death of the Messiah was something that was well documented in in prophecy after prophecy in the Old Testament. Hundreds of years before this moment. Uh, remember last week we saw in Daniel 9, written about 600 years before this moment, that the Messiah must be cut off, it said. It said the Messiah must be cut off, but not for himself. We read that description this morning in Psalm chapter 22 of his crucifixion. How about Isaiah 53, a very common one that we talk about. Isaiah 53, another clear clear description of his crucifixion, almost 800 years before Jesus ever came. From Genesis to Malachi, illustration after illustration, type after type, prophecy after prophecy, predicted in detail the sacrificial death of, of Christ. In fact, in Luke chapter 24, uh, verses 25 through 27, uh, this is right after Jesus rose from the dead. And he's talking with, with these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And, and he, he's walking with them and, and talking with them. And these disciples are depressed. They're telling all about how, how Jesus had, had, had died, how they were following Jesus, and now he's been crucified. And some people say he rose from the dead, but we didn't see him. We're not sure and our Savior's been crucified. And it says in that passage that they don't recognize who He is. They don't recognize Him. But He says this to them. He says, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Then He says, ought not, the cross, ought, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into His glory? And it says, and beginning at Moses... And all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. This is the the greatest Bible study in the history of the world, right? Jesus walking them through the Old Testament of how he must be crucified. He says the death of the Messiah was clear in the Old Testament and it was necessary. And then he shows them verse by verse through the Old Testament. His death was necessary that the fruit of salvation should come from it. That's what he means when he talks about the hour coming for the Son of Man to be glorified. That's primarily what he means. And then next, we we see another implication of this hour. The hour has come for faithful followers to imitate the Savior. This is where it gets real personal for us The hour has come for His faithful followers to imitate the Savior. Jesus takes His example of His laying down His life and He turns it to all who would follow Him. He says in verse 25, He who loves His life will lose it. And he who hates His life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, He says. Jesus here explains what it, it truly means to follow him, to be his disciple, to be saved. You know, we, we look at uh, one who actually lives out his faith, one who actually lives a life dedicated to building God's kingdom. And the world and even many in the church are very quick to say, oh, that's just a, a radical Christian. They're radical or they're a Bible thumper. They're they're crazy about their faith. You take this Jesus stuff way too seriously. Don't you know that all, all Jesus says you have to do is believe in Him? But Jesus lays this surrendered life out as a minimum requirement for the Christian. This isn't some super believer that we're reading about here. This is anyone who would follow Him? Jesus is saying that to believe is to hate your life in this world. If He hates His life in this world, He will keep it for eternity. Now that, that's a strong, strong word. Hate in the English language, right? In the Greek, this word is used to express strong Preference, preference. In other words, Jesus, Jesus is not saying literally hate your life so that you want to die or something like that. He's not saying literally hate your life. Rather, he's saying if you're truly going to follow him, your strong, strong preference needs to be building his eternal kingdom and not building your own kingdom. That is his requirement. I said it a few weeks ago, and I'll say it again, the Christian life is a call to come and die to yourself. It's the paradox of of our faith that when we let our own desires and our own preferences and our own plans and our goals take a back seat and we pursue everything, with everything that we are, we pursue the building of God's kingdom. That's when we find life. And that's the only time you will find life. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And when we chase only self-love and self-promotion and self-exaltation, self-preservation, when we chase the things of self, building of our kingdom, boy, we find misery. And ultimately, we find an eternity away from the love of God, separated from the love of God. Spiritual life comes from the death of self. As Jesus illustrates here. You want eternal life, well, you must die to self. That's the requirement. Do you want a healthy marriage? Well, you better die to yourself. The problem's not with her, it's with you. The problem's not with him, it's with you. Do you want a healthy marriage? Jesus says you need to die to yourself. Do you want to make a true difference at your workplace? Well, you better learn to die to yourself. Do you really want peace in your life? Well, Jesus says you can have it. But you're going to need to die to yourself. And he offers it freely. This is not a new teaching of Christ. We see it all over the New Testament. He speaks of taking up our cross daily. The cross is an instrument of death, people. People. It's an instrument of death. He says, take it up daily. If you want to follow him, he says, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The Bible is clear that to be a true follower of Christ is to forsake all else for his name. He goes on here in verse 26, and he says, If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. I think that's a twofold statement here. First, let him follow me in my actions. In my servanthood. You know, everyone is so concerned about, well, what, what's God's big plan for my life? Right? What is... God's big plan for my life? What is His purpose for my life? But are we just as concerned about Jesus' constant command to you to serve others? Are we just as concerned about following Jesus' example of washing the feet of His disciples? Are we just as excited? Who's excited to lower yourself And esteem everyone else as more important than you. you understand that's what the Bible calls you to, Christian? This is no easy calling. He empowers you with His Spirit, so don't tell me you're not capable. You have His resurrection power living within you, Christian, if you know Him this morning. He's not going to ask you to do anything that you cannot do through the power of His Spirit. And what he says to do is you esteem every other person above yourself. Everyone. Does that get you excited this morning? Are you excited about that this morning? Or is it all about, oh, what's God going to do in my life? What's his big plan for me? I can't wait. His plan is for you to die to self. That's His big plan, guys. That's His big plan for your life. To daily take up your cross and follow Him. And boy, there's much reward in that. Some of that reward will be earthly. I'm not talking about getting rich. It could be, hey. Probably not, though. Some of that reward will be earthly, though. It will be earthly, peace, and joy and, and fulfillment that you've, you can't even imagine. That you've never had. But most of that reward is going to be in heaven. And, and heaven lasts forever, by the way. I don't, I don't know if we recognize that. But we're here for like a dot. And then, and then eternity is like the rest of this never-ending line. Wouldn't it make sense to live for that? And to stop wasting so much time worrying about this little dot? Do you want God to begin to reveal, reveal more about His plan for your life? then start with what He's already commanded. Follow Him in His servanthood. Follow Him in His death to self. And count others as more worthy than you count yourself. That's the Christian life. It's not about you. It's about Him. And it's about other people coming to know Him. And it's only when we realize that, that we can really experience true life, true hope, true joy, true fulfillment, true peace. So let me ask you this morning, how are you esteeming others as more important than yourself this week? How have you this week? What's your plan for this week? Because this is a mindset that you're going to have to just every day wake up with. Because how easy is it to stray from that and think about me? Oh. If you're married, if you have children, you know, you, you know how easy it is, right? To begin to think about self. Like that, that's the biggest thing that slaps you in the face when you get married is, Man, I am selfish. And when you have kids, even more. Man, I am selfish. And you have to learn to put yourself to death more. More than you thought you did. The Christian life is a call to die. I said I think what he's saying here is, 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 is twofold, though. And first of all, he's asking us to follow him in his actions and his servanthood primarily. But I think secondly, he, he's giving us unbelievable encouragement. Where I am, there my servant will be also. He's going to say to his disciples in a couple of chapters. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you will be also. And what a promise that is. Eternity in heaven with the one who gave his life for you. Oh, it's so easy to get so worried and anxious about these 80 years or so we've got. Maybe not for you. Maybe you have 20, 30, 40. Maybe not for me. Who knows? You get so consumed with this life. Jesus says for His followers, there's going to be no more worries. No more tears. No more stress. No more anxiety. No more sickness. No more conflict. No more death. And that's for eternity, for eternity, forever. Just think for a moment about the length of eternity. It's hard to even wrap your brain around. You think of a million years, and then there's a million more coming. And then there's a million more coming. It never ends, it's eternity. Do you understand what Jesus has promised you this morning? paradise for eternity he says if you'll only follow me on this earth for this little period that i have you here this little season that i have you here and finally jesus he says this if anyone serves me him my father will honor God, are you kidding? What a thought that is. I don't know if y'all caught that. Let me read it again. If anyone serves me, him, my Father will honor. What a thought that God is going to honor me. That is crazy. And it's all because of this hour that Jesus is talking about here. This hour that... He's coming in to bring His death. And because of His death, we can be cleansed of our sin. You can have your sin forgiven, whatever you've done. It doesn't matter what you've done. You can have your sins forgiven and you can stand before God as perfect. And we can be His sons and His daughters. And we can receive inheritance as sons and as daughters. And the Bible says that somehow He's going to reward us. He's going to honor us. I love that verse in Revelation 22. It says this, Behold, I am coming and my reward is with me. Jesus is talking. He says, I'm coming back and I've got my reward with me. Are you kidding me, Jesus? Haven't you done enough for me? And yet there is reward that awaits you and I. Those that would heed His words and die to self. It's in that dying to self that you will truly live. So, are you dying to self this morning? I guess that would be the question. Are you truly seeking the kingdom of God above your kingdom? Above all else? Is the anthem of your life like those Gentiles here? Sir, we want to see Jesus. I want to see Jesus. I want to know more of Jesus. Or perhaps you're here this morning and you say, I don't really know him. I never heard all of this. But I want to know Him. I want to know this One who has paid for all of my sin. I'm going to ask the band to come on up. But I want to know this One who has paid for my sin. Well, then nothing's stopping you this morning. Come. If you feel the Spirit convicting you of sin this morning, then confess that sin and repent of that sin. Right now in this moment, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and and close your eyes and just spend a few moments in the quietness. Come and surrender your life to Him this morning. Stop playing games with your eternity. And come. Let the Holy Spirit have His work in you. And tell him, Lord, I'm so sorry for my sin that has nailed you to the cross and I am ready this morning to die to myself and to follow you, Jesus. If you will do that, the Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Maybe as a Christian this morning, there's some sin you need to confess. Maybe just a general attitude of selfishness for many of us this morning. Maybe need to confess that. As we close, I want us to take a few moments to just consider our witness to the world. What would others say about you? Would they say that you are solely focused On the kingdom of God. Above your own desires. Would they say that that is a person who lives to serve others? That is a person who lives to serve others. You know those in the church. Who are most like Jesus. Are those who are often unrecognized. Those with that gifting of servanthood and who are constantly serving. They're not looking for recognition. They are constantly serving you, and serving you, and serving you, and lowering themselves, and lowering themselves, and lowering themselves. Those are the people who are like Jesus. It's not the teaching, and the preaching, and all that, that often gets the recognition. Now those things are wonderful. Wonderful. And those are like Jesus in some way too. But we are most like Jesus when we serve one another. When we look around this church family and we put everyone else above us and our desires. You want church unity, you die to self. That's what it takes. A group of people who say, I'm going to die to me. I'm going to elevate them. We're called to be servants of God and of others. I want us to dwell on that thought as we close this morning. Let's embrace that calling. Let's embrace that calling together. Let's get out there in our mission fields this week and show our friends the Gospel of Jesus by our dying to self. Let's outdo each other in our dying to self. Let's outdo each other in our serving of others. And then let's tell the world why we are the way we are. It's because of Jesus and His perfect sacrifice. And Father, we pray that You would open doors this week. You would open doors for us to proclaim the Gospel. And God, You would give us the courage to walk in them. And Father, that You would help each of us to die to ourselves this morning. In this moment, to draw a line in the sand and say, I'm finally going to start living like Jesus lived. Father, help us to do that as a church family. Help me to do that, Lord, as a pastor. Father, help us to have that mindset. Sir, we want to see more of Jesus. We want to see Jesus. As we close this morning, we're going to end on a song, but I want to give you just a few moments to do what you need to do with Jesus. If you need to be saved, then come this morning through repentance and faith. If you need to talk to me about it, I'll be in the back. Grab me. Let's talk. Be glad to lead you in a, in a prayer and, and kind of help you with the next steps. I'm going to leave, you, leave, it, uh, leave it to you for the next few moments. I do what you need to do with Jesus.
1: thank you so much, Lord, for today. Lord, I pray that this song would just be true this morning, Lord, that every word that we are saying, that, Lord, that we need you more than anything in this world, Lord. I pray that that is on our hearts this morning, and that is, that is honest, because, Lord, we cannot do anything in this world without you. You are our everything. And, Lord, we're so blessed to have you, Lord, in our lives and to know you. And, Lord, let's just please help us to go out this week and just be servants in our community, in our workplace. Lord, help us to die to ourselves like Joshua was talking about this morning. Lord, help us to make that a point, to be burdened, to serve others, to seek out those who are... Not seen, who are outcasts, Lord. I pray that you will help us to just have that urgency each day when we wake up to die to ourselves. Lord, we're not guaranteed tomorrow, we're not guaranteed this next breath. And Lord, I just ask that you would help us that in everything that we do every day, that you would just be given all the glory in everything that we do, Lord. That we will be able to share your love and your gospel with those who may not know you, Lord but that you will get the glory and that we will have that eternal mindset. Um, and God, I just ask that as we go um, just throughout this day, I pray for just the meal that we're about to have, Lord. I pray that you would bless it to our nourishment of our bodies, that you will just help us, Lord, just um, again to remember what we learned this morning and help it to be burdened on our hearts, Lord, to just make sure that we're telling others about you and serving others, Lord. Um, And we just love you so much. Thank you for your son who died on the cross for us, Lord. Help us to remember that and the weight of that, Lord, and that sacrifice. Um, We're so thankful for you, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.